Hello and welcome to News Now. I'm your host, Taylor Inman. We're going over this week's biggest headlines and what's coming up for the Flathead Valley. This week, I chatted with Dave Noble, a meteorologist with the National Weather Service in Missoula, about El Nino, what it does to our winters, and what's in store for February. But first, here are some headlines. Advanced vehicle reservation tickets for Glacier National Park became available this week. Yesterday morning, the tickets became available on a rolling daily basis through the end of the season. Visitors can obtain tickets on recreation.gov through two types of booking windows. A portion of the reservations will be available 120 days in advance on a rolling daily basis. Next day vehicle reservations will be available on a daily rolling basis at 7 p.m. Mountain Time starting May 23rd. In addition to a reservation, each vehicle entering the park is required to have an entrance pass for any entry point. Vehicle reservations are required for the west side of the Going to the Sun Road past the reservation checkpoint May 24th through September 8th from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. New this year, the filter station will be moved past Apgar to give visitors access to Apgar Village without a vehicle reservation. Visitors without reservations will be detoured at the checkpoint and routed back through Apgar Village. The village is expected to experience heavy traffic and parking will likely be in high demand, according to a release from park officials. Vehicle reservations are required for the North Fork area May 24th through September 8th from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. Reservations are needed for many glaciers starting July 1st through September 8th from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. as well. Advanced reservations for many glaciers will be available beginning March 3rd at 8 a.m. These will be released on the same advanced schedule and next day schedule on a rolling basis like the Going to the Sun Road tickets. In a change from previous years, vehicle reservation tickets are only good for one day. Visitors will need to set up an account on recreation.gov or the recreation.gov app to obtain reservations. The cost to book a reservation is a $2 processing fee. Visitors may also make a reservation through the recreation.gov call center. Calling will not give prospective visitors an advantage in securing a reservation, but provides an alternative for those who lack internet access or are unfamiliar with technology, according to park officials. The call center is open daily from 8 a.m. to 10 p.m. Mountain Time. Parking at Logan Pass, Apgar Village, and other areas may be congested or temporarily unavailable. Visitors are encouraged to take advantage of free shuttles for hiker access to Logan Pass, although waits for shuttles may be long depending on the time and location. For updates and additional information, visit the park website at nps.gov glac. A Troy man accused of killing a collared grizzly bear on his property over bait more than three years ago has agreed to plead guilty to charges related to the alleged incident. According to documents filed in federal court, 80-year-old Arthur Lee Pearson will enter a voluntary plea of guilty to evidence tampering and failing to report the taking of a grizzly bear, a threatened and protected animal under the Endangered Species Act. A court date for his change of plea in U.S. District Court in Missoula has not yet been set. The maximum sentence for witness tampering is 20 years in prison, while six months is the maximum term for failing to report the taking of a grizzly. Total fines could reach $275,000. Federal law says a person killing a grizzly bear must report it within five days. It is anticipated that Pearson has agreed to plead guilty to both charges. The joint plea agreement calls for the government and defendant to recommend, to recommend a sentence of three years of probation and an $8,000 fine. In exchange for guilty pleas, the United States agrees to not prosecute another individual in connection with the taking of the grizzly bear, and Parson agrees to cooperate with the U.S. regarding the skull of a second grizzly bear discovered on National Forest System lands near his property. 
The investigation began November 23, 2020, after a Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks game warden contacted U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Special Agent Mona Ionelli about a dead female grizzly that was dumped on Pipe Creek Road a few miles south of Yak. The GPS collar the bear was wearing was found in the Yak River by a Fish and Wildlife Service biologist. Despite its loss in function, federal biologists were able to download data from the collar. That information indicated the bear died at about 8.55 p.m. on November 19, 2020, about 40 yards from Pearson's house on his property near Troy. Read this full story and more at dailyinterlake.com. We are in an El Nino winter. That means warmer temperatures for northwest Montana and occasionally a burst of Arctic weather. I spoke with National Weather Service meteorologist Dave Noble, who explains what El Nino typically looks like for our region and what's on the horizon for the rest of the winter. As a refresher, could you go over what El Nino is, El Nino, El Nina? Sure, yeah, no problem. And you know, uh, a picture is worth a thousand words. And so I have something to share with you. So I'm going to, I guess, click on share screen. So yeah, so to answer your question about La Nina and El Nino, well, uh, by the way, this picture, I was just in Kalispell uh, on Monday, and uh, it was just lots of snow everywhere. And this is the animation uh, looking over the equatorial Pacific. It's the sea surface temperature departure from average. So the red areas are the milder, warmer areas, and the bluer kind of colors is like the cooler temperatures. Um, and this is like an animation from October through the like January. And it just kind of shows you kind of persistent warm temperatures from the Dateline eastward towards South America. And this is what we consider an El Nino. Um, but, you know, I, I'm going to probably share more about this later, but look at the Western Equatorial Pacific. Look how it's warmer than average, which mm -hmm. is kind of rare for an El Nino for us to have such a kind of warm anomaly in the Western Equatorial Pacific. So here's kind of mo most recent sea surface temperature anomaly. You know, this is from January 22nd. Um, te technically, the El Nino is a coupled oceanic and atmospheric system. Basically, that means, you know, the ocean and the atmosphere is kind of connected. They're affecting each other. And that can skew atmospheric patterns around the Earth. And like I said before, this is a typical kind of El Nino signature with the more of a present more of a prominent warm anomaly from the dateline eastward towards South America. And then here's like the opposite. Uh, this is La Nina and, you know, it's cooler from the dateline eastward towards South America. And the periodicity of like El Nino, La Nina, they can last for like a year. Uh, but a lot of times El Nino is the strongest towards midwinter. And then it starts to kind of weaken towards the spring and the summer in the northern hemisphere. This, so we're looking at how this impacts us in the winter. And the winter months are typically, well, the winter months are December, January, February, uh, when we talk about the winter. And when we say on average, that usually means lower snowpack and milder temperatures for the Northern Rockies. I mean, that's the simple kind of average. And the average like jet stream during El Nino is further south. And that left kind of image you can see the Pacific jet stream is extended across the Pacific um, and it's moving across the southern U.S. And that's usually wetter down there. But up here, it's usually warmer and drier because, you know, the jet stream is really kind of brings uh, a lot of the precipitation towards us. Right. The right side, like La Nina winters, the jet stream is more variable. But then 
there's a more propensity to bring colder air out of uh, Canada and we can get these like, you know, low pressure systems coming in from the West and just uh, interacting with the cold air. And uh, it's a better snowier pattern for us as the La Nina winter. Right now I'm looking at the La Nina winter and I'm thinking that looks pretty good is what I'm thinking, but uh, compared to what we're doing. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it seems like it's typical to have a warmer winter for El Nino. Um, is what we're seeing this year, can we, um, what is the data from like previous El Nino winters up here in Northwest Montana? What does that typically look like? Um, yeah, so previous El Ninos uh, are very different. Um, there are times when we can get uh, really cold temperatures, like spe especially Kalispell. Uh, I was just looking up a, a statistic. And when you look at, in terms of Kalispell getting like 10 degrees or colder, um, I, I counted how many hours Kalispell had colder than uh, 10 degrees. And there's actually several, uh, I think there's about 13 that showed uh just you know these uh, kind of arctic systems in january so about 45 percent of the el nino uh seasons have had some sort of uh, arctic system uh to impact us which is kind of interesting you know but you may be wondering well, well what about the rest of the winter well I, I think there's other things going on besides el nino you know el nino is just one part of the equation of how the atmosphere uh ticks right uh, there's other oscillations out there, you know, uh, without getting into the specifics, you know, you probably don't really want to know all that, but you know, there's the Madden Julian oscillation. Uh, we're looking at, uh, the water temperatures across the Pacific as a whole. Uh, sometimes that can really kind of help to vary the jet stream a little bit, tweak it a little bit more than usual. Um, you know, this past winter, just the, this December into January, uh, we had some active thunderstorm activity that moved around the globe. And that actually probably helped to induce more of this La Nina pattern uh, here in January. But it was, it was, it was an anomaly. You know, the, the time scale of those types of oscillations are on the order of like one to two months. And, they, and it's just moving around the globe. So it, it can really amplify the jet stream uh, like this Alaska ridging that we're seeing in this diagram for a La Nina winter. So this cold spell we just had was uh, kind of like uh, just a little La Nina jab for us. And now we're back to the Nino pattern. Yeah. Yeah. You said that with the El Nino winters we do, or you said, did you say like 45% have a big Arctic burst or was that La Nina? Did I get confused? Uh, so I looked at January's how often uh, during an El Nino uh that, you know, Kalispell can get kind of a elongated kind of Arctic system. And it was about 45% of the years that I looked at. Well, cool. do you know why we get that big burst of Arctic weather in the middle of an El Nino pattern? Or you, you know, there's, there, there can be several explanations. Um, you know, one of them is um, when you have that kind of extra thunderstorm activity going on in like the Indian Ocean and uh, Southeast Asia, that can uh, cause the jet stream to be stronger. You know, it's cold in Siberia. Um, all that warmth is kind of causing, you know, the jet stream is formed because of temperature contrast. You have cold to the north and warm to the south. And when they meet, you know, like near Southeast Asia, Japan, uh, the jet stream forms. And Coming up, actually, this is pretty uh, impressive. Uh, here in a few days or about a week or so, 
the jet stream is going to develop and extend all the way from Japan all the way to like Southern California. And uh, they're going to be getting a lot of interesting weather probably in, so in Southwestern U.S. and California uh, because that jet's going to be aimed down there. Oh, that's so interesting. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned there's a lot of things that go into weather. Obviously, El Nino is not the only thing affecting weather right now. Um, I was curious, um, especially with these big temperature swings, climate change is kind of at the forefront of people's minds. I wasn't sure. Do you know if how much scientists and meteorologists know how climate change is, is affecting recent weather? Yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, the climate is changing. Uh, but, you know, for me personally, I'm I'm kind of more looking at more of the shorter term uh, range uh, weather and I looking at the climatology. Uh, I'm not really, you know, studying. I'm not going into all the you know, statistics. I'm not uh, studying the seasonal trends. That's more of a, a like a climatologist is you know, kind of studying those things. Uh, as a meteorologist, as an operational meteorologist, we're, we're kind of dealing with like the first two weeks and we're trying to help. Uh, the public, uh, partners like the road departments, uh, avalanche partners, I mean, you name it. And we're trying to help them to make sense of the level of impact that the upcoming weather is going to have on your, like in your area. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You guys are more short-term while climatologists are more looking at that long-term, what the climate is doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just kind of segue to, to that, um, you know, Noah actually has a really cool blog it's like a weather blog uh and it's a climate blog actually and it's climate.gov and they just they talk uh periodically they tell you okay well this is what's been happening uh and they give you a little bit more details like for people who are really into it uh sometimes they mention uh climate change uh research in there and so that's a, a place where you can maybe go to maybe find some of those answers and uh, i feel like they do really great write-ups of what's happening uh they're pretty poetic too like the the way they write is uh it's pretty cool they it's, it's like this kind of fun uh kind of storyline that they try to kind of weave through their blog entry so it's kind of neat so check that out if you're interested yeah that sounds neat i'll have to look at that do you guys have any data to share about what we've been seeing this winter so far oh sure yeah uh, just looking at the numbers for kalispell um you know we had a pretty warm december you know, it was five degrees above average when you're looking at the average temperature. Um, as far as the precipitation, we had a fairly wet November and uh, kind of lower average snowfall November and December. But then January, we got, uh, you know, two feet of snow. So 22 inches, that's 10, almost 11 inches above average for the month of January. And uh, if you take like the October through the present average uh, for Kalispell, it would be about 40 inches or so about 10 inches below uh, average. And uh, this Arctic that came in January, you know, it was the strongest Arctic since 1990 in terms of wind and cold temperatures. Um, you know, I got this from my coworker who's been working on looking at the data, Corby Dickerson. Uh, fourth coldest in terms of like 109 consecutive hours below zero. Um, the coldest kind of consecutive hours was 141 hours, January 12th through the 18th of 1950. And then we had... we. We hit 33 below on the 13th, and that's the ninth coldest all time, any of the time of the year. So that's pretty significant. Uh, 12 below and 10 below were highs, and those were in the top 10 coldest high temperatures. And in terms of like a four-day period, you know, seventh coldest. So pretty impressive. 
in, in many decades. And the 64 mile an hour wind gust that we had January 11th, that was the seventh strongest wind gust connected to an Arctic since the late 1940s. There was a 74 mile an hour gust that happened January 14th in 1954. This is the most recent like snow water equivalent in the mountains across Northwest Montana. And we're ranging 67 to like 83% of the median. Um, so that's kind of the state of our snowpack right now. And, you know, I looked at some of the stations with some of the previous El Nino's and there's a, a range of possibilities, but it's interesting when I looked at noisy basin and I plotted the snow water equivalent, you know, through the summer, um, there was a kind of a steady rise of the snow water equivalent into the spring for many of the Ninos that I looked at. Um, and then there was a big range of when we were going to lose that snowpack. It was either early May uh, or it could be delayed and we get more, more snow or water in the, in the snowpack through June. And that could be kind of delayed. So there's like the big range. So I think the big thing there was, that I saw was just a steady rise of, of the sweet. And there were times when it would steady off, you know, because in El Nino winters, we can get these like high pressure systems that just sit over us for like a whole week. Um, we kind of had that in December and we had fog and stratus so forth. But yeah, that's, that's the sum of it. Interesting stuff. So, okay. As the snowpack, um, you know, depletes, I guess maybe we're hoping for a rainy spring to kind of make up for the snow that we're not getting right now. Right. Yeah. That's the hope. That's the hope. Cause you know, uh, a wet spring can help to kind of delay fire season, Yeah. you know, and it could help uh, give us all the water that we're kind of missing because we're still in a, like a, a drought right now in Northwest Montana. Um, so I guess my last question for you is, um, extended forecast stuff. Do we know what February is going to look like? Is it going to stay this warm? So the Climate Prediction Center is looking at an equal chance of above or, or below average for precipitation for us. And then they're, they're looking at leaning above average for temperatures. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's just going to be, you know, warm all month. Uh, there actually could be a pattern change the second week in February. Some of the long range models are hinting at uh, possibly another kind of Northwest flow event. Maybe it could be snowier and colder for a period, but it may just be temporary last for three to seven days. And then we might be back to this kind of milder pattern, higher snow levels, you know, uh, temperatures possibly getting well above average, you know, the daily highs and some of these previous Ninos, we can be have highs in the forties and fifties and maybe even sixties if it's the right pattern. Uh, but, I'm just telling you that's, you know, I'm just telling you that's kind of like the potential. And we have seen those types of temperatures, especially as you get into like March. Uh, I do have like for the rest of the year, I don't know if, and, and you didn't ask me that, but I did come up with this slide from the CPC. Yeah, I was going to ask. So, you know, with an El Nino winter, we know it's going to be warmer. Does that mean that we're going to get a warm spring, warmer than usual, or where do we go from here? You know, the statistics from our office uh, have pointed more of correlations with the winter time. But when you look at some of these kind of post Nino Springs, some of them can actually be quite wet. Uh, so 
there, there's still going to be a, a chance for, you know, that to happen. But right now the, the forecast, the official forecast is to it's leaning drier than average for the springtime. Uh, but at the same time, there's a chance that La Nina conditions could develop by late summer or fall. So there's like a 50 to 60% chance that the Climate Prediction Center has given us. Just to give you a reference, this El Nino uh, kind of happened after three La Ninas in a row, you know, the 2020 to 2023 season. So um, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the, in the summer and the fall uh, if we do start getting more of the La Nina conditions. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dave, for explaining all of that. Um, we'll be yeah. sure keep checking back in with you guys down at the National Weather Service to see how the rest of this year shapes up. But yeah, thanks so much for joining me today. Yeah, you're welcome. Looking for a fun way to get out and connect with the community? Remember, you can find art classes, live music, and anything community related by going to dailyinterlake.com events and checking out our events calendar. Thanks for joining us. News Now is a podcast from the Daily Interlake. We're proud to be the largest independent newsroom in Montana and the oldest paper in the Valley. Consider becoming a subscriber to support our work. Call circulation at 406-755-7018 or go to the subscribe tab in the top right corner of our website. And if you haven't already, subscribe to our YouTube channel to never miss an episode of the pod. Everybody stay safe and have a great week.